If you have your Bible, I wish you would open it, please, to the book of Acts in chapter number two. And while you're finding that passage, I have very good news for you today. I'm not preaching a sermon on bitterness. So does that make you happy today? No more bitterness. If you're still bitter after all those sermons, there's not anything else I can do for you, okay? You're on your own. But uh, hopefully you're not. Hopefully any bitterness that you had, or sometimes we all struggle with that, but that you've dealt with that before the Lord and your heart is full of love and not any of that. You say, John, why would you have spent multiple weeks talking to us about bitterness? Well, that's a good question, and the answer to that question is found in Acts chapter 2 and in verse number 1. So let's just begin today by looking at that. Notice what it says. Now, here are the disciples. Jesus has ascended to heaven, and the disciples are in the upper room in Jerusalem, and we read these words. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord, literally, they were all in one place. They were together physically, but they were together in their hearts. Now think about this. Here are these disciples and the other early followers of Jesus. And as they met together for prayer in that upper room, there was nothing between them and God. But not only that, there was nothing between them. There was no sin between them and God, but there was nothing between them. There was no anger. There were no grudges. There was no unforgiveness. There were no bad feelings. There was nothing but love in those relationships that those 120 people had. They were together, together. They were in the same building, but they were of the same heart and they were of the same mind. And as a result of that, they were in position to experience the fullness of all God wanted to do in their lives. Now, the reason I preach so many sermons on bitterness is because of this. If we have that in our hearts, then we're not in position to receive what God would want to do in our life. In other words, God could say, I have great things planned. There's something I want to do in his life, in her life, in their life, in that family's life, in the church's life. Great things I have in store. But because they've got this bitterness in their heart, my spirit can't flow through with the same freedom that he would be able to. And so that's why we spent so much time on that, trying to get our hearts right so that we can be in a position to receive all that God would have for us. Now, if the main word in verse one is together, the main word in verse two is the word suddenly. And let's look at it. Verse number two, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with utter tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so since they were together, right with God and right with each other, suddenly here comes the Spirit. In a powerful way, the Spirit now coming to indwell and to live on the inside of these believers. And when he did that, he came with a sound as of a rushing mighty wind, and it was an amazing thing. And then they were given the gift to speak in tongues. Now, what does that mean? It means that supernaturally, they began speaking in languages they had never heard. Because for Pentecost, Jewish people from all over the world, from different countries and speaking different languages, had gathered together, and these Christians now are filled with the Spirit, and they begin to speak in languages they had never learned. It would be like if we got on an airplane today and flew to Japan, and we landed in Japan, and we went to the restaurant, and there we are trying to communicate as best we can with those who are taking our order, 
And then we go to the hotel and we're meeting people and we get in a setting over there, maybe in the hotel with some of the staff or maybe some people on our tour. And, and in our hearts, we're like, I wonder if these people know Jesus. I wonder if they have ever been saved. And we think, well, I can't speak Japanese. I'm not able to communicate to them how they can be saved and how they can go to heaven. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, literally out of the blue, we're empowered and enabled to speak Japanese. Never had a class in it, don't know any Japanese words, but all of a sudden, it's just like a water uh, hydrant, just words are just coming out of our mouth. And in Japanese, in a language we don't even know, we're telling these people about Jesus and how they can be saved. Well, that's what was happening here in uh, the upper, and here in Jerusalem after they were all filled with the Spirit. Now, the title of the message today is not necessarily soon, but suddenly. Sometimes we wonder, when will God answer this prayer? When will God meet this need? When will God solve this problem? When will God answer this question that I've been struggling with for a long time? When will God set me free? When will God do for me what I'm praying for God to do? And the answer today is not necessarily soon, but suddenly. In 2010, on one of our trips to Israel, in fact, it's the only trip we ever took where we went to Jordan. We had gone to Jordan because there in that country, there's a place called Petra. And Petra is the place that most theologians believe that the Jewish people will flee to during the tribulation when the Antichrist emerges and begins to persecute and kill many of the Jewish people. And so God has, the scripture says, a place prepared for them in the wilderness or in the desert. And most people believe that's Petra. And so we went there to tour it. Now, on this particular trip, we had four buses, almost 200 with us traveling. And I was responsible for a couple of those buses. And my parents were leading the other two buses. And there were so many of us, we were staying in different hotels. Well, when I got my group to our hotel in Petra on that particular night, it was about 9 o'clock. And the guide said to us, now, as is always the case, people will carry your luggage to your room. You don't have to worry about that. I know it's late, he said, but... In the dining hall tonight, there's a big steak dinner that's been prepared, a steak, baked potato, and all that goes with that. And so feel free to just come to the dining room and have, have this big meal. Well, that time of night, I didn't want to eat anything that heavy, and so I decided not to. I went into the dining room, talked to people for a few minutes, and I just went, went to my room. Never will forget this. It's, it's, a, it's, it's etched in my mind. I unpacked my bags, and, and I thought, well, what do I have in my suitcase to eat tonight. I end up eating a granola bar and a banana. I thought maybe I should have eaten in the dining hall because they have clearly a better meal down there. I didn't want something that heavy. I ate what I ate and I just spent a little time praying that night. And on that particular night, this was in 2010, I was asking God for wisdom, for direction in a certain area in my life. I was asking God to show me what to do. And so I was just praying on this situation that it was on my mind that night and not audibly. But as clearly as I know the voice of God, God said this to me. God said, John, I'm not going to answer that prayer soon. But when I answer it, it will be quick. And it was the first time in my life that I had ever made a distinction between soon and quick, between soon and suddenly. And so there I am in, in a Muslim hotel. Jordan is a beautiful country. It's a Muslim nation, as most all those nations there are in that part of the world, with the exception of Israel. And I'm in a, we're in a Muslim hotel, and it's decorated as such. 
but I'm praying and God is speaking to me and God said, I'm not gonna answer that prayer soon, but when I answer it, it'll be quick and you will know that this was my answer to that prayer. And so I'm saying today at the beginning of this message, some of you are here and you're praying about something, you're waiting on something, you're hoping God will come through for you and meet a need for you or solve a problem for you. And the message from God for you today is the same word he had for me 13 and a half years ago. It may not happen soon, but when it happens, it'll be quick. And you will know. This was the experience of the disciples in the upper room. The promise that God would send his spirit to the earth and fill his people had been made hundreds of years ago. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, God said, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That promise was made hundreds of years before Acts chapter two. So it didn't happen soon. It's not like God made a promise and then immediately that promise was fulfilled. No, time went by. But when it happened, it happened suddenly, suddenly, quickly, literally out of the blue, this promise is fulfilled. And that's how God works. Suddenly a promise is fulfilled. Suddenly a life is changed. Suddenly a question is answered. Suddenly a need is met. Suddenly. I was thinking last week about all the promises in the Bible that God has made to us. And for some reason, I thought about the one in Psalm 147, where the scripture said that God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Now that's a promise from God. God heals the brokenhearted. Let's just say that part together. God heals the brokenhearted. You believe that? Say amen. It's a promise. And yet sometimes our hearts are broken and we wonder when they'll be healed. And sometimes our hearts stay broken for weeks or months or even years, and, and the, our hearts are not healed. And we wonder, God, will this promise ever be fulfilled? I remember in 1993, this has been well over 30 years ago now, my grandfather died, my mom's dad. We called him Pop. He and my grandmother had flown to, from Atlanta to Houston to spend some days with my parents, and they did that. Before they went back to Atlanta, he and my dad came to Fort Worth where I was living at the time and they visited me. They drove down to Waco where my brother was living at that time and they visited him. And then they came back to Pasadena. And on the night before they were to leave, the four of them, my parents and my grandparents went out to eat. They came home and, and they said, okay, in the morning your flight leaves at this time so we need to leave the house at this time to be ready. And you know how it is at night when your family's visiting. Love y'all, hope everybody sleeps good. If you need me during the night, call me. Everybody went to bed. Well, during the night, my grandfather had a heart attack and died. Completely unexpected, and, and it really caught all of us off guard. So we ended up going, all of us, to Atlanta a few days later for his funeral. And my mom stayed in the Atlanta area with my grandmother to help her during this time of transition in her life. And my mom was having a really difficult time with the death of her father. She was, I mean, we all go through grief, but she was going through it really hard because they were very, very close. I never will forget one day I was, I guess back, this was before cell phones, so I was coming back to my apartment in Fort Worth and she called and she said, John, I need to tell you something. She said, you know, I've had a hard time since Pop died. And she said, I was praying today about that and not audibly, but I felt God spoke to me. And I said, well, what did, what did, what did God say to you? And she said, I felt like God said this to me, Dottie. You know that your daddy is in heaven with me. You know that Pop's in heaven. You know he's healthy and well. You know all that. But today I want to share something with you that you haven't stopped to think about. Not only is your daddy in heaven, 
but your daddy is happy up here. He's happy. And my mom said to me, she said, John, after all these months of just intense grief, she said there was just something today, just that simple, about knowing that Pop is happy. Doesn't mean I don't miss him, and she still misses him to this day, we all do. But that heavy burden of grief, she said, it just lifted off. And as I was preparing this sermon, I thought about that, and I thought, that's just how God does it. He doesn't always fulfill a promise, meet a need, lift a burden, or answer a question immediately and, and soon, but when he does it, it is sudden and it is quick. And so what does that do for us? It should give us expectancy. This could be the day that God meets that need for me. This could be the day that God supplies what I'm looking for today. I was interested to learn last week that the word suddenly appears 41 times in the Bible. If I counted it right, I got my concordance, I looked up the word suddenly, and I counted. And I counted 41 times that that word appears in the Bible. Suddenly is a wonderful word to describe how God acts. Not necessarily soon, but suddenly. Let me give you some examples. We know, first of all, that God speaks suddenly. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 4, suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, suddenly. They needed a word from God. It didn't come soon, but it came suddenly. And some of you today, you need a word from God. Well, it can come just that quickly, maybe even in this message. Suddenly God judges. Sometimes we see a person or a group of people and they're sinning and living just totally contrary to God and maybe even mocking the name of Christ. And it's just like they're getting by with it and nothing seems to be happening. But God judges suddenly. Proverbs chapter 29 in verse one. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Even in Bible times, think about the judgment of God. See, the judgment of God doesn't happen soon or, or you know, immediately. Why? Because God is patient, because God is kind, because God is giving all of us as sinners a time to repent and a chance to repent and make things right with God. But if there's no repentance, the judgment falls suddenly. I think about Sodom and Gomorrah. God gave them time. They didn't repent. The judgment came suddenly. And here's this stern warning. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Not only that, suddenly one of these days Jesus will appear. In Mark chapter 13, verses 35 and 36, hear the words of Jesus. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest, now listen to this. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. The Bible is very clear that when Jesus comes back, first of all, that will happen at the rapture of the church, that it's going to be sudden. He has made that promise. It's not soon. Think about this. The apostle Paul thought that Jesus would come for him during his lifetime, thought the rapture would take place during his lifetime. He said in one of his letters, we're living in the last days. The apostle John thought he would come in his lifetime. 30 years later, he said to those he was writing to, little children, it is the final hour. And here we are 2,000 years later. Well, if it was the final hour then, we're in the final minute or the final seconds. It's coming to the end. And suddenly, Jesus Christ is going to appear. You know, we can't help but see on the news what's happening in Israel. And we wonder sometimes, what is the Christian response to this? How is a Christian to respond to what is happening in the Middle East? I've thought a lot about that this week. And to me, the, the answer to that question is rather obvious. First of all, as Christians, it is our duty 
to call sin, sin. And what happened in the Middle East last week when Hamas invaded Israel was sin. It was evil. It was wicked. It was vile. It was demonically motivated and satanically inspired, the taking of human life. And you've seen on the news this week just people in point-blank range coming up, shooting people in their cars, shooting people, just spraying people down at that musical festival down in southern Israel. And it's evil. And it's wicked and it's wrong. And so that's the first thing. But the second thing we need to do is pray for that region and pray for peace. In Psalm 122 and verse 6, we're instructed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Another thing that all Christians should do, we should stand with Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. And that is God's chosen nation. In Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 8, it says that he who touches Israel touches the apple of God's eye. That terrorist group Hamas had no way of knowing this, but when they attacked Israel, in a very real sense, they attacked God. And God will defend and God will protect his people, and so we should pray for Israel. But we should also pray for the Palestinians. I think sometimes we have the idea that all these Palestinians over there living, and whether it's in Israel or even in Gaza, that all these Palestinians are terrorists, that they're all a part of Hamas. And that's not true. I have Palestinian friends in Israel today, just like I have Jewish friends who, are, who, who love the Lord and who reject this extreme form of terrorism. And so we should pray for them. Sometimes the Palestinians feel caught in the middle. And so we should certainly pray for them. But what I guess I'm saying in the big picture today on that is all of this should say to us, that we are getting closer to the end than we have ever been in all of our lives. That Jesus Christ, think about this, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I'm standing at the door. I'm getting ready to come back. And if that was true then, how much more true is it now? This weekend, it's been beautiful weather, and I'm sure you've seen the Wings Over Houston air show. And if you haven't seen it, I bet you've heard it. Or if you live near Ellington, kind of like I do, you can't help but hear those planes flying overhead. And it's just been beautiful to go out there and to watch that and just, just how they just light up the sky. It's just something else. But this morning I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, one of these days, one of these days, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there's going to be a shout from heaven. There's going to be the voice of the archangel. The trumpet of God is going to sound and Jesus Christ is going to come back for those of us who belong to him. It will be the air show to end all air shows and it will be sudden and it will be immediate and it will be quick and we will be out of here and we will be in God's presence and in God's care. And so when we see this on the news, what's happening in Israel, it should be a reminder to us not only to pray for Israel and for the Palestinians and for peace and some kind of resolution in that area, but we should also be reminded this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. In the last days, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famines and earthquakes, and we saw a huge earthquake yesterday in Afghanistan. There'll be pestilences. We're just coming out of a of a pandemic, a plague on the earth. What is that? That thing got so politicized, I'm afraid we missed the point. I think in behind all that, God was saying, this should be a wake-up call to everyone that the end is near. The trumpet's about to sound. The angel's about to shout. And Jesus is about to come back. And I'm afraid so many times we miss what God is saying because we look at it through the lens of 
politics or the news or our own opinions or something like that instead of interpreting what's happening through the lens of God's word. The point, though, suddenly one day Jesus will return. I'll tell you something else that happens suddenly. Suddenly people get saved. You know, we've probably seen, I don't have the exact number in front of me, we have probably seen over 250 people get saved here at First Baptist since January the 1st, since New Year's Day. I don't know the exact number, but somewhere around 250. But I can't think of any of those people who woke up on a given Sunday and said, well, you know what? Today I'm going to go to church and get saved. That's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to church, I'm going to get saved, and I'm going to have lunch, and I'm going to watch a ball game. That's what I'm going to do today. That's just not how salvation works. You don't plan yourself. I'm not saying it could, ne- I, mean, I mean, maybe if somebody was under deep conviction and they just, I'm not saying that could never happen, but that's just not the way that the New Testament describes salvation. In John chapter three, Jesus described it like this to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, salvation in the moving of the spirit is like the wind. The wind, it, you don't know where it's coming from. You can't see it. You don't know where it's going next. There's a mystery to the wind. That's why sometimes our own salvation is somewhat mysterious for us to understand because we didn't instigate it. The Holy Spirit, the wind blows where it wishes. The most recent example we saw of this, now we saw it in the first service. There were several, seven or six or seven or eight people stood up today in the first service being saved. But before that, Wednesday night, I preached a sermon out of Philippians chapter four, verses one through three, about two ladies in the church in Philippi who couldn't get along, Judea and Syntyche. And I preached an entire sermon entitled, Do We Have to Agree on Everything? And I asked the congregation, how many of y'all think we have to agree on everything? Some raise their hand. How many think we don't? Some raise their hand. I said, we can't even agree on that, you see. <laughs> but I mean, I didn't preach a salvation sermon. I preached about, do we have to agree on everything? The answer is no. We just have to be of the same heart in the Lord. We don't have to agree on everything. That's not a salvation sermon. I did give an invitation, and at the end of it, an 18-year-old girl got saved. The wind blows where it wishes. Suddenly, she was saved. You're in Acts chapter 2. Go to chapter 9 as we think about the apostle Paul. How did Paul get saved? Before his salvation, he was a legalist. He was a lost Jew. He was zealous for God, but it was misdirected zeal. He was on his way to hell had he not been saved. And so Paul, Saul at that time, who had been responsible for the killing of so many Christians now is traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus, Syria to arrest more Christians, bring them back to Jerusalem so they could be punished. And on that Damascus road in chapter 9, verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Suddenly, there's this light. Suddenly, Jesus speaks, literally out of the blue. It was sudden. He wasn't saved on the Damascus road. He went into the city of Damascus, and then he was saved there. But it happened suddenly. It happened quickly, and that's how God works. Suddenly, God changes the situation. Sometimes we get in a situation. It needs to be changed, and we say, God, I'm asking you to change it. Go to chapter uh, 16. I'll just show you one other passage here. And in verse 25, By now, Paul has been saved. He's become a preacher for for the Lord of the gospel, an evangelist, a missionary. He's in a little town called Philippi. And because of his witness for God, he's arrested and thrown in jail. But in chapter 25, it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. They weren't complaining. They weren't mad at God. They were just praising God. Hands are chained and 
feet chained. I mean, it was just a, a terrible situation, but they're just making the most of it. But look in verse 26. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open. So suddenly, there's an earthquake, and immediately, they're loosed. And their chains uh, fall off of them. At the end of the verse, everyone's chains were loosed. So think about this. Get the image of this. Paul and Silas are shackled. They're chained. They're praying to God. Their hearts are right with God. Hearts are right toward each other. Suddenly, see, if we're right, suddenly God can do supernatural things. And that's exactly what God did here. God does things suddenly. I, I was thinking as I was preparing the sermon about former President Bush, George W. Bush. And I was thinking about how he struggled with alcohol for so many years of his life. And in one of his autobiographies, he's telling a story about how on his 40th birthday, after a wild night of drinking the night before, he woke up with a headache and feeling the way you would feel after that. And, but he also woke up under the conviction of God. And he had a real encounter with God on that particular day. And he made a commitment to God that with God's help, he would never drink alcohol again. And suddenly that was taken from him. And all these years, he hasn't, as far as I know, ever had any alcohol since then. You know, I've known a lot of people who struggle with addictions, whether it's alcohol or drugs or tobacco. And sometimes God frees people gradually and little by little, and all of a sudden they're free. Sometimes though, God frees people immediately and quickly and suddenly. And that may be more often the case. Not long after I had been on staff here, I came in June of 1995. I was a student minister. The very next month, we were taking our first, or I was taking the students on our very first youth camp, going to Marshall, Texas, East Texas Baptist University. And on the Sunday night, in the Sunday night service before we left on Monday, we, whoever, whichever one of us preached that night, preached and gave the invitation and a man came down the aisle who I knew but it's that and I know him super well now I didn't know him real well then a man named Jim McGill and he said John I, I need to pray about something tonight he said as you know I'm going to be a sponsor this week at youth camp I said I know you are he said in fact we're rooming together I said I know we are and I'm looking forward to that he said I'm going to tell you something about me you don't know he said for however many decades I've been a big smoker he said, I smoke a pack or two packs of cigarettes every day. He said, but God has convicted me that I need to stop smoking. And he said, I'll tell you the way he did it, I, because I'm going to be a sponsor on this youth camp, I just don't feel like a sponsor at a youth camp should be smoking cigarettes. And I said, well, I agree with you. And I thought to myself, I don't think my roommate should be smoking cigarettes either. So <laughs> this is good. He said, I want us to pray. And I'm making a commitment tonight with God's help that I'll never smoke another cigarette. And we prayed at the old location at the altar. And you know, that was in 1995. That's been 28, over 28 years. That fella, he lives in Arkansas now. He has not smoking, uh, smoking. He's not smoked a cigarette in over 28 years. That's how God set him free. We have a man in our church, a good friend of mine now, named Wesley Bryce. Wesley started coming to our church sometime back and he and I got to know each other just a little bit. And when I first met him, he told me his story about how God had saved him and how God had delivered him from an alcohol problem that he had. And, and I called Wesley last week and I said, Wesley, you've told me this story about what God has done in your life, but I can't remember all the details. Could you just refresh my memory on the specifics of the story? 
He said, yeah, and he told me the story. I said, Wesley, that, that story so fits my sermon on Sunday. Would you mind if I use that in my illustration? And uh, I said, I promise I won't tell your name, which I've just done that. I already told it. But the reason I told it, when I said that, he said, John, I'll let you tell that story under the condition that you do tell my name. Because I want my name to be associated with this story so that if I could help one person who's going through what I went through, they could come to me and I could help them. So I'm telling you the name, Wesley Bryce. On July the 28th in 2022, the day before his 35th birthday, Wesley got in his pickup truck and drove from Pasadena to Galveston. He was gonna spend his birthday the following day, the night before and the next day, with some friends in Galveston celebrating. On his way to Galveston, he stopped by a bar. He drank some beer. He drank a lot of beer. And he got drunk. He got back in his truck to drive to Galveston. He had an accident. He drove his truck over the seawall. Did over $17,000 of damage to his truck. Could have been killed, but by the grace of God. His blood alcohol level was point. Three, six. If you follow that, you know that's, that's high. Very dangerous. The police came, arrested him, took him to Galveston County Jail. The next morning, on his 35th birthday, he woke up and he said, John, the lights in that jail were so bright. He said, I just, I, I couldn't see. It was, he said, I'm not saying I couldn't see, but everything was just like a mist. It was just like there was a, all I could see was light. I couldn't really see anything but the light. And he said, I know you're gonna think I'm crazy, but God spoke to me. He said, sometime I hear you say, God spoke to you, you know, not audibly, but in your heart. He said, God spoke to me in my heart. Maybe it was all, I, it was just, la- it was powerful. I knew it was God. And I said, well, Wesley, what did God say? He said, God said to me, Wesley, When you get out of this jail, you're going to church and you're never gonna drink alcohol again for the rest of your life. He said, so I got out of jail and the next Sunday I came to First Baptist. I said, man, with all the great churches in the area, how did you end up at First Baptist? He said, I'll tell you why I came to First Baptist. He said, my next door neighbor, Judy Tenaple, she was in the first service, she's been inviting me to church for 12 years She's about to drive me crazy. I can't even go get my mail without getting invited to church. She just always invited me. Come to church, come to church. She, 12 years. And he said, I never came. But I knew God had told me to go to church. This lady's been inviting me to come to church. I came to First Baptist Church the very next Sunday. And he said, John, I liked it. He said, the people were nice. The music was wonderful. The sermon was the greatest sermon that's ever been preached by a human being. That was my version of what he said. He said, the sermon was helpful, but I really liked it. So I came back the next week, and then I came back the next week. And after about seven or eight weeks of coming every week, it became clear and obvious to me what I needed to do, and I understood by now fully what it meant to repent of your sins and to receive Christ and to trust him and to turn your life over to him and go in a different direction. And he said, John, after coming to First Baptist for about two months, I got saved. And after I got saved, a few weeks after that, he said, I got baptized. And he said, God has just changed my life. And he said, this sweet girl that I've been with for 
for a long time now, Erica, we've decided that, that we wanna get married and that's what God would have us to do. And I had the privilege a few weeks ago uh, on a Saturday afternoon here in our chapel of officiating their wedding. It was absolutely beautiful, a beautiful ceremony. They're a beautiful, beautiful couple. And he said, John, here's what I want you to know that Jesus has done for me. And here's why I want you to tell my name. And here's what I want everybody at church to know on Sunday. I want them to know that when I was 14 years of age, I started drinking. And I drank consistently until my 35th birthday. And he said, John, God set me free down there in that jail and told me to never do it again. Two months later, God saved me and I've made a commitment of my life to Jesus and I'm following him. And he said, I want you to know, John, by the grace and the mercy and the power of God, I have been clean and sober for over 15 months and my life has never been better. He texted me this morning. He said, John, I'm planning on coming to the 11 o'clock service. That's always the one I come to. Do you think I should come to the 9.30 service too? I said, yes, you should. You should be in both services. And he has, and he is, and right here in the middle, Wesley and Erica, Bryce, there they are, celebrating what God has done in their life. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful example. He told me last week, he said, John, are you sure you want to tell that story this Sunday? Because I really want to be there. I said, yeah, I want to tell it this Sunday. It fits my sermon. He said, that's okay. I'll just make a change of plans. I said, what were your plans? He said, I had free tickets to the Texans today. That's where I was going to go. <laughs> but if you're going to tell my story, I would rather my story be broadcast than to be at, down there at the stadium watching the Texans game today. And I said, that's dedication that he's in, house, in the church house today instead of being at NRG Stadium. You know, Wesley, as I thought about, you hear that? It's the air show. And I'm telling you, for those of you here who are not saved, when the rest of us are going up and you're trying to figure out what happened, you just remember a good-looking man told you this day was coming. This day is coming. We're out of here. There's an air show. And let me tell you something. Right now, they call this wings over Houston. Let me tell you what it's going to be. It's going to be wings over the world. But it's not going to be the wings of an airplane. It's going to be the wings of the angels announcing the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. And when he sets up shop, he'll set up his kingdom, not in Austin, Washington, or New York City. He'll set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and at last, there will be peace in the Middle East. And every Jew and every Palestinian and everybody from every nation will bow and say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day's coming. That day's coming. And just as suddenly and unannounced and unexpectedly as that airplane flew over, there's going to be a shout from heaven, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and we'll look up, and there will be Jesus saying, I've seen enough. Suddenly, I've come to bring it all to an end. But Wesley, as I thought about you, and the amazing thing God has done with you and Erica, I thought about that. What happened there? Two things happened. God told you what to do. That's number one. And number two, you obeyed. I wonder here today, has anybody else got a problem with alcohol or tobacco or, or drugs or pornography or immorality or dare I go back and say bitterness? <laughs> and God has told you what to do, but you haven't done it yet. But if God has told you 
And if you'll do it, you'll be so blessed. And as I said to Wesley this morning in that first service, we gave the invitation, people standing up all over this room being saved. And I said to Wesley, I said, Wesley, when you did what was right, not only did God bless you, but there's always a ripple effect to our obedience. And you know what? I'm believing in this service today. People are gonna be saved. I'm believing in this service today. People are gonna be set free. I'm believing before we dismiss this service today, people's lives are gonna be changed. And it's gonna happen suddenly. Quickly, immediately, in a moment, with our heads bowed and eyes closed. You say, John, I need what Wesley got. For me, you might say it's not alcohol. For me, it's something else. But what I need is Jesus. Let me tell you something, friend. We all have different problems and different things from which we need to be delivered, but the solution is the same. The solution is Spells his name, J-E-S-U-S. And today, if you say, John, I'm not sure that I know him. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I'm ready to die. I'm not sure what would happen to me when that trumpet sounds. Well, friend, today, now, suddenly, you say, I didn't come to church today planning on being saved, planning on standing up. I didn't plan on that. I just came to church. Well, if that's what you're thinking, it makes me think it's more of God because the wind blows where it wishes. And if the wind of the Spirit of God is blowing up and down your road today, you need to respond. You need to act and obey, and suddenly you should. But it begins by being saved. And salvation begins by confessing our sins, asking God to forgive us and change us, turning from our sins, asking Christ to save us, trusting Christ to save us committing our lives to following him all the days of our lives you can do that today in this moment you can walk out of this church in the next five minutes this service will be over you feel like man the weight is lifted you know Wesley's weight was lifted his life was changed and today your weight can be lifted if you'll pray this prayer and mean it with all your heart just say this say dear Jesus I ask you to come into my heart Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. Welcome to my heart. Lord, I got a long way to go to become the person that I want to be and that I need to be. But I'm asking you to begin right now making me into that person. 